Welcome back to Fired Up with Anna and Bijou. This is our fourth episode. I'm Anna. And I'm Bijou. This is a show about climate change through a social justice and ecological lens. Each episode will take a deep dive into a specific topic and dissect it from a scientific and political point of view. Our goal is not to recite facts or to solve the world's problems, but instead look deep into the nuances of each issue and ask some questions that can prompt you, the listener, to have similar conversations with your family and friends. A quick note for you all, as you can probably tell, we sound a little different today. Anna, Sergio, and I are recording remotely as we practice social distancing, staying safe and healthy as we can during the coronavirus. We hope you're staying safe and healthy as well. The theme of today's episode is play, specifically play via outdoor recreation. We'll be covering different versions of play in a future episode. Humans are playful beings. We recreate far into adulthood and enjoy a variety of activities just for the sheer pleasure they bring. Play is one of the things that makes life worth living, but today we're going to be exploring how one of our favorite forms of play, recreation, impacts the climate crisis. We'd like to recognize the indigenous peoples who have lived and are still living in sacred relationship with this land. We recognize that there are over 380 tribal affiliations living within the city of Portland. Our podcast team is committing to this work for a just and equitable future. We want to keep those held in minorities due to existing power structures in our hearts and minds while we speak to sensitive topics. In order to truly stop the worst impacts of the climate crisis, we must all be actively decolonizing ourselves and our approaches to this work. Okay, Anna. How's it going? Oh, man, what a question right now, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing okay. It is currently May, and yesterday it was 87 degrees, and today it was 83 degrees in Portland. So it has been a warm weekend, but I've definitely been enjoying it and able to get outside, and that's definitely been helping as we continue the quarantine period (laughs) yeah it's odd because there is a part of me that is very grateful for the sun and for the warmth and encouraging us to get outside during these times but there's also just the Oregonian in me who absolutely adores the rain and I don't know why but I already miss it and so it's gonna be a long summer (laughs) well it's supposed to go back down to 66 and rainy tomorrow so (laughs) stoked on it yeah I kind of it kind of worked out because it was a really nice weekend and now it's going to be rainy all week, which is good for focusing on work, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. When it's sunny during the week, I get far less done. Yeah, it's less productive. How have you been? I've been good. I've been okay. I've been kind of reverting. A lot of people are saying this, but like reverting back to the high school selves, but in a healthier way. When I was in high school, I did a lot more like introspection and checking in with myself and just like really looking at kind of the more existential philosophical side of life and that's been happening a lot more lately which causes for light existential crises in the (laughs) middle of the day but it's good to work you know (laughs) yeah I've definitely been feeling that too I mean I've been talking about this with folks we're now in what like more than we're we're in about two months I think of quarantine March April May like it's been almost two months yeah and I feel like I have so much more time now to kind of just sit with my thoughts which is really scary and has been hard in some ways, but yeah, I feel like at least this week I've been pushing through that and trying to like look at it as a good thing, <laughs> but it can be hard mentally. Yeah, definitely. And I think what's the most distracting is like when I'm working during the day and then all of a sudden these thoughts pop into my head and it's like, what is life? What is reality? Like, oh, <laughs> what a great question. Why am I doing this work? Um, nothing to distract you. But other than that, I'm doing good. 
Yes, good. One thing that's uh, I feel like is is funny and it relates to our episode topic today is that I've just been realizing, or like especially at the beginning of quarantine when like bars and restaurants closed, I realized how much of my personality slash time was taken up with like going out to eat and like meeting up with people and all these things. And now I'm being forced to kind of be by myself or be with just my roommates and like it's it's like forcing me to develop hobbies that are not eating food out and stuff like that and it's it's definitely a good thing i think um besides everything else going on i'm i'm trying to be grateful for that so yeah yeah i i guess i didn't realize how much time it did take up for me because i i knew i like hung out with my friends a lot but it really is kind of it was my only hobby before <laughs> quarantine started <laughs> like that was my yeah. hobby and so, yeah. yeah, having to find a new one is definitely a little difficult. I know you have been, though. I've seen you doing planting and and making new videos and stuff like that. It's yeah. awesome. Playing my youth. All right. So should we dive into play? Let's do it. Let's talk about it. So what is play? Um, we, we're trying to define it for this episode. It's a bit of a tricky concept to define, but for the sake of the recording today, we'll, we'll call play, well, it's defined as voluntary activities that we do for fun without getting paid and could be subjectively non-essential for societal progress. Play, which we're going to talk about more, it's, it's extremely important for our mental and physical health. It's, it's something that humans do naturally. And... Um, something I'll just say right off the bat that I think is really interesting that humans have the longest juvenile period out of any other animal. And that's, I mean, we could dive into that for a while. And I'd love to, you know, find out more even deeper of the psychology of why, you know, because our juvenile period is so long, how does that play into the fact that humans, uh, have become very successful as a species, but, um, it's definitely interesting and not all mammals do that. Not all creatures play well into their adulthood we have this long juvenile period and then even past that we continue to enjoy to do things for fun um so yeah i think that's really interesting yeah i think it's super interesting to look at the correlation between animals and humans through the lens of playing and what that looks like because obviously humans playing look can look different than animals playing for very obvious reasons, but in so many ways, they look very similar, especially when you're looking at kids and children. Yeah, I mean, one thing this article that I was reading, uh, it was actually in the, it, the a book I read called Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. It's by Stuart Brown. And he talked about, like, this concept of what if, you know, these juvenile qualities that we carry into adulthood and enjoy playing, enjoy recreation, how, you know, why is that part of the secret to success as a species. Um, and I feel like we could tie it into how it's been capitalized on and things like that. But something that I've been continuing to mull over is that, you know, recreation and play, these are things that make life worth living. For some of us, you know, that means different things. Some people, for that's like, you know, gaming or watching movies. Some of us is like hiking or swimming. For some of us, that means like playing or watching sports. And obviously for a lot of us, it's a combination of all those things. So Something we wanted to talk about, don't really have an answer yet, is do humans have a right to play? Like a right, like we talk a lot, you know, in the environmental justice community about like a right to air, a right to clean water. Do we have a right to play? Because it's so clearly, you know, something that's so important for us as a species and something that we all do naturally um, in different ways, especially as children. What does that mean and how does that impact, you know, how does 
how does our wanting to play and our need for that impact the environment is kind of what we wanted to talk about today. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing also that I want to talk about. Playing, and you touched on this, but playing in relationship to capitalism versus playing in relationship to what is in our core. I think there is a lot of capitalistic intent behind what we consider play in the modern era. And that can be extremely classist and extremely segregating and very unhealthy. But that doesn't mean, I don't know, there's kind of a twisted idea of, you know, oh, if you're not doing this kind of play, then you're not having fun. It's like, that's not even close to anything resembling reality. So many people have fun in so many different ways, and it varies among classes, but also varies among cultures. And yeah, like you said, very nuanced. And so I think moving forward, just having that in mind and uh, understanding that some of the play that we may talk about may be kind of the Western idealized modern version of play, but there's so many other threads of play that are existing and are very important to many people. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you're talking about capitalism and tying that into play. I mean, I didn't do so much research on this, but now that you bring that up, giving thought to the idea of just how, you know, globalization and cap, like, we've capitalized on the fact that people enjoy playing like with like, you know, professional sports and things like that, or, oh my gosh, I don't need, that's such a big concept, but I just think that's really interesting that you brought up the idea of, of capitalism and play and, and doesn't mean people don't enjoy that in like a healthy way, but you know, not only does maybe play as we're going to talk about impact the environment in negative ways, but maybe it can also impact people in a way that we don't want to like, and I just, this is just coming to mind is, you know, in professional football and leading up to it, uh, the idea of like people getting young kids and adults getting concussions and then impacting them negatively. Um, and it's kind of for a sport that makes a lot of money. That's a whole rabbit hole, but I just think that's interesting. Right. Well, and even if you think about going to a bar, like this idea of that, so going to bar is a very kind of commercialized idea as well. You know, you go to the bar to hang out with your friends and it feeds the economy. And that's not a bad thing by any means, but um, it can be very taxing on the wallet. It's an expensive endeavor to go to the bars and hang out with your friends. But because it's capitalized and because it's encouraged, um, it almost seems like preying on social bonding, this thing that humans have and this need that humans have to hang out and be together in spaces and interact with each other and it's just there are so many ways that not to get completely derailed but that capitalism just kind (laughs) of fucks the system and kind of messes with our idea of what is reality and what is true definitely (laughs) from a psychological point of view uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about how when play is denied over long periods of time you know there's studies about this with animals but then also just with people continuing on from the book play how it shapes the brain uh there's there's evidence that if we don't have access to play like if we have a a, you know less access to play then we actually like as the same thing with like if if you don't have access to sleep then when you do get a chance to sleep you sleep hard um, but same thing with play, like when, when you don't have access to play, then, and then you do get a chance to, you like, there's like a rebound period. And it just reminds me of not just like humans, but it reminds me of animals as well. Like when I'm thinking about my dog, like when she doesn't get as much of a chance to play and then she does, she's just a little bit more stir crazy. And anyways, 
And it plays into that idea of like work hard, play hard too. And that's encouraged in our society. <gasps> oh my gosh, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Of just, you know, going hard, grinding away, and then just like partying really hard. Yeah. When um, it could be a lot, probably a lot healthier to just find a balance. And mm. I don't know. It would be great if we could just play hard all the time, but. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. So. What do you do for fun, Bijou? I, I, okay, so if we're talking about recreating specifically, I hike and camp a lot. Not even a lot. I hike and camp, and I really enjoy it, and it brings me a lot of joy, and it's great, and it's beautiful, and I think we're, we live in a space that lends itself to it. Um, I don't do a lot of outdoor activities that include a lot of like cardio besides hiking <laughs> um i know you do so anna if you'd like to expand on what you do outside yeah sure um i also enjoy hiking and camping and i like hiking and camping with my friend bijou <laughs> i also some of the things i like to do outside are um i uh, recently taken up running um also trying to get into rock climbing and then i've also skied for a long time so when we're talking about outdoor recreation. And I also really enjoy backpacking. Um, and like Bijou said, we live in an amazing place in the world where we can enjoy camping and hiking and skiing and rock climbing. Um, Portland's pretty incredible. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think we should, we should definitely dive into kind of the environmental impacts of these, of these fun activities that we enjoy. Um, and we've been wrestling with this as we're coming up with this, you know, topic or as we're talking about play. It's, this has been a hard topic to research. I think you could agree, Bijou, because, you know, play is fun and we want to do it and we want to enjoy ourselves. It makes, like I said at the beginning, like it makes life worth living. Um, so it's kind of hard to realize that something that you really love to do, you know, has an impact, a negative impact on the environment oftentimes. In past episodes, you know, we talked about climate migration and we talked about like unsustainable funeral practices. And those are things I feel like I could still control. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or not control, but maybe I wasn't like his impact, like doing that more directly. But I definitely enjoy a lot of environment, like activities outside that I know don't, you know, really help the earth and don't stop the climate crisis from happening. So it's it's been kind of an uncomfortable one to research, I think. Yeah. And I mean, it hits home because it's so universal too it's not i mean uh, death and birth are too but these are things that we choose to do these are things that we yeah have a say in and if you have a conscious um thought that what you're doing to enjoy your time is negatively impacting the earth like you said it's very difficult to say like oh guess i'm not gonna do that anymore and so tough well and it's definitely been thrown more into the light i feel like recently because of the covid 19 crisis because we've in many cases especially because we live in oregon which is taking the crisis really seriously um you know where they close the beaches um there's obviously no skiing or uh you know like i went to the park today and the skate park is closed so um we're, we're not like allowed to do some of the things that we find fun in 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 the way that we want to and um I think it's really been impacting people differently, of course, and there's been people that aren't taking us seriously, but um, it's definitely been interesting. Uh, something that Bijou brought up uh, when we were chatting about this episode was, you know, how, what are kind of the overlaps between COVID-19 and the climate crisis in regards to recreation? I mean, they're pretty 
similar in terms of if we took the climate crisis as seriously as we're taking COVID-19, like our producer Sergio was talking about earlier, we would see these effects that are very, they're so beneficial for our earth. Um, So CNN put this out. So the output of greenhouse gases is measured in PM 2.5 density. So quick background, that's uh, particle matter for particles that are 2.5 microns diameters. So they're super small. And that is the diameter that can infiltrate the lungs and cause respiratory problems. So just changes in PM 2.5 since COVID-19. New Delhi dropped 51%. South Korea dropped 58%. Wuhan dropped 44%, LA decreased 31%. So these are large changes. These are significant changes. And these are compared to last year at the same time last year because there's uh, differences in uh, pollution levels based on the seasons as well. So these are compared um, annually. So decreasing these levels is great. And it's something that we definitely need to do. And... We need to be decreasing them now. But carbon output is something that builds on itself. So we need to, instead of just stopping, also figure out ways to sequester carbon from the air. And that's the only way that we're going to like actually decrease carbon output. And trees sequester carbon. Soil sequesters carbon. There's a lot of ways that we can increase our carbon sequestration Wow, that's depressing, Bijou. <laughs> like, so basically you're saying that if we, even if we stopped all carbon output tomorrow, that wouldn't necessarily be the full solution? Yeah. So it would be very good and we need to, but it won't decrease until we have, or it will decrease slowly, but not fast enough to actually make any big changes. So. Ooh. Greenhouse gases pretty... is a multi-tiered problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those numbers you shared earlier about the different cities is pretty incredible because I don't... I wonder if there's a time in recent history where anything like this has happened that's had such an incredible impact on greenhouse gas emissions. You know? Mm-hmm. It's so noticeable. I mean, people are talking about the air being clear just, you know, visibly. Um, and it took a pandemic to make that happen. Right. And so, yeah, the question being, is this what we need to do to decrease greenhouse gas output enough? Like, do we all need to pretty much quarantine ourselves or probably more preferably find healthier alternatives to our quote unquote normal lives? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think to me and maybe other people that already were thinking about the climate crisis um, before COVID-19, you know, this has obviously been really hard on everyone's mental health. This has been economically impactful. The fact that we're quarantining, the fact that uh, we cannot meet up with other people, you know, can't be in big groups, can't go to restaurants and things. Um, it's pretty shocking, you know, how much of an impact that has on our lives. And it it's pretty, it makes you really think and makes you really process what it would mean to, to do, you know, something drastic for the climate crisis Mm -hmm. um but it gives me hope because i think i've also seen a lot of 
you know, humanity come out of this whole situation. Um, I think there's something beautiful when people have a common thing that they can unite against. There's nothing in my recent memory that, you know, seems as significant as COVID-19 and the quarantine where everyone in, you know, my community, everyone that I talk to daily, you know, we're all experiencing the same thing and it's traumatic, but there's some solidarity in that, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. There is. And being able to lean on each other, it feels far less isolating, which is very important in times like this. Um, So bringing it back around to play a little bit more, do you want to go over how the way that you choose to play impacts the environment? Yeah. So we thought we'd kind of dive into a couple of our favorite ways to recreate in the outdoors just because there are a lot of different ways to do that and kind of look at the environmental impact. So I looked at skiing and rock climbing. I'll start with skiing. So skiing is pretty incredibly damaging to the environment. I already knew that, but seeing kind of the facts laid out doing my research was really interesting and sad (laughs) Um, because I've done a lot of skiing throughout my life. Uh, I looked at an article by ThoughtCo that talked about um, ski resorts and the environment because most of the way that that people, you know, enjoy skiing is by going to a ski resort. So, you know, obviously the big impacts are disturbance to wildlife, alpine habitats, deforestation. Um, There's a lot of clear cutting that happens in order to create ski trails. It also requires an incredible use of water for a lot of ski areas, not so much on the West Coast, but on the East Coast. There's snow, they create artificial snow, so that uses a lot of water, and then it gets like sprayed onto the um, to the different ski runs. Wow. Um, which I don't, yeah, I don't think you would know that if you weren't regularly skiing. They have it at, uh, at one of the resorts up at Mount Hood, where it's close to us, because um, it's a little bit of lower elevation, and so yeah, they just will pump snow onto the mountain, basically, and it requires a lot of water. And then the last, you know, big one is fossil fuel energy. Um, not a lot of, I don't know if there's any ski resorts in the United States that are powered entirely by renewable energy, but that'd be pretty interesting and cool to have. Mm-hmm. Um, they All the ski lifts they, you know, require, they run on energy. One fact is that operating a single ski lift for a month requires about the same energy needed to power 3.8 households for a year. So, you know a significant amount (laughs) on top of that uh to maintain you know a nice groomed surface for ski runs resorts they use groomers that usually use diesel power and obviously produce uh carbon dioxide nitrogen oxides and just emissions and honestly these there's been a lot of research done but there's not enough probably to really get a comprehensive look at across the board you know just i guess even in the united states uh the impact of ski resorts um Something I was thinking about, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole looking at indoor ski resorts, which are a thing in other parts of the world. There's 105 indoor ski slopes in the world. I have always been interested in indoor skiing. Just I looked at this really interesting article from ultimateskitourguide.com that talked about a specific one in China, and it's 70, 750,000 square feet, and Honestly, at first glance, they look really fun. But then, I, you know, you start thinking about all of the energy that has to go into, like, powering all the fake snow and just, like, the energy to do the lifts and stuff. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's pretty interesting. I, I was thinking about it. I was trying to figure out, like, a poetic way to put how wild it is that we have manipulated the earth enough that we can create these controlled, temperate environments where we can enjoy our favorite recreation activities that, like, were originally created to enjoy outdoors. But um, 
it's pretty staggering just on on the ways that we do that and kind of hurt our environment in order to enjoy ourselves so anyways uh so yeah so skiing is definitely a not a great thing for the environment um so one thing we also wanted to talk about you know when we're talking about the impact of our favorite ways to recreate on the environment is also potential solutions um, or ways that we can minimize our impact. For skiing, backcountry skiing has a lot lower of an impact. You're not in a resort. You're using manpower to get up the hills. You're not impacting the environment as much. But of course, um, it's quite an intensive upfront investment in order to, to get in the whole setup you would need to go backcountry skiing. And it's a lot more dangerous and probably a lot less accessible because there's not as many places you could do that. So um, I just thought that was interesting in backcountry skiing. I've done that a little bit and um, it's really fun, uh, but at the same time, it's definitely less accessible. So another way that we can be enjoying skiing more sustainably is kind of like I mentioned before, is um, investing more renewable energy into, into powering ski resorts. So yeah, skiing, like I said, it's not the most sustainable thing, and <laughs> it's hard to kind of, you know, practice more sustainable options for that, but uh, I think that's something that, you know, in the skiing community, we should be thinking about, because, you know, with climate change, it's going to be impacting ski resorts and skiing and enjoying such a fun sport, so figuring out a way to be more sustainable is incredibly important. Yeah. Cool. Okay, Bijou, I would love to hear about how camping and hiking has an impact on the environment. Well, I wouldn't love yeah. to hear about it, but I'm curious to learn more. <laughs> yeah, not exactly an upbeat one. But, so honestly, there's there's definitely impacts, but I don't think it's the worst thing that you could do. I think there are worse recreational activities you could participate in. Um so downsides of hiking and camping, camping definitely has a greater impact than hiking. So camping, especially if you're doing campsites, a lot of the area can be deforested, not, you know, clear cut, but definitely deforested to allow for sites to exist. Um, there's also decreased vegetation. And if you're by a river and there's no vegetation, the banks tend to erode away a lot faster. That's kind of a huge thing in restoration is always figuring out how to put vegetation back on banks because the root system in the plants holds the banks up. And so when you have so much traffic running through the campsite, vegetation doesn't have anywhere to grow and then banks erode away. And that's not great because that can also cause uh, stream pollution, which decreases fish habitat and a whole myriad of problems. Another big part of camping is waste. There are many people who camp that are very conscious of their waste when they go camping. And there are also many people who are not conscious of their cam uh, waste while camping. For example, it actually takes longer for an orange peel to biodegrade than it does an aluminum can. Really? I'm not telling you to go <laughs> throw out your aluminum can by any means. Just... <laughs> dispose of it properly like just be just throw away the stuff you need to throw away and kind of take care of your space properly there's a term you know pack it in pack it out and it's so important to do also when washing your dishes and um, using soaps of any kinds making sure that they're biodegradable and not toxic um, and just because the commercial washes 
penguins with them does not mean that they're good for the environment. That's the same thing with sunscreen. So if you're going, this is like if you're going to the river and you're wearing sunscreen, making sure that it's safe for riverine habitats. Um, sunscreen can cause large film swaths along the river and that can be very bad for the habitat. So those are kind of the big camping ones. And then hiking is far less intrusive. There's people who go off the trail who um, are not aware of the habitat that they're actually walking through and can cause a lot of damage, especially if everyone does it. So it's kind of the concept of tragedy of the commons um, where, you know, one person does it. It's kind of okay. But when you have everyone doing it, it becomes extremely destructive and it's not good. So, you know, stay on the trail, folks. And then driving is also a large part of it. Driving to hikes and campsites. A lot of people drive hours to go hiking or camping. And it's really wonderful that you're enjoying Mother Nature. But it also, you have to account for the greenhouse gases that you're outputting while getting to the area. Um, and then any additional concrete in parking sites or anything like that. Also, be aware of your fires. So many forest fires are caused by irresponsible camping, and it's usually always human-induced. Do you want to know a really interesting thing regarding forest fires? So apparently the Paradise wildfires that happened in California, do you know how they were started? The original, like, the source of it? Wasn't it the power lines? Apparently it was actually, like, a truck, like a semi-truck, wheel came off and the sparks and it was so hot and dry that it caused the fire and they were like so i think they were the most destructive in california history or something like that dang anyways i thought that was really interesting yeah yeah that's really i mean that's also human caused though which is pretty wild so yeah i also want to talk about the benefits of camping and hiking because once you do it ethically and consciously or eco-consciously it can be very beneficial to your health. Um, it reduces anxiety. Uh, it increases attention capacity, which a lot of people in our generation do have a problem with just because of how the media has kind of transitioned to these short snippets and it's just the way that our brains are being wired. So it increases attention capacity, creativity, and our ability to connect with other people slash trust other people. Um, and just decreases, it can also decrease activity in the brain linked to depression. So it's all around a really great thing. Anna, do you want to talk a little bit about rock climbing? Sure. So, so yeah, so I just started rock climbing in the last couple of years and I actually have never been rock climbing outside. I've only been inside the gym, which can have its own impact of, you know, electricity use and material use. But so no matter what they do, rock climbers when outside are going to have an impact on the environment, of course, by hammering bolts and climbing routes and just while they climb, you know, you're, you're wearing away at the rock. Um, in addition, you're also impacting local, you know, ecosystems, local habitats of plants and animals. Um, and so, you know, that's definitely, it's similar again to camping and hiking and skiing and that, you know, humans are just having an impact on the environment that they're, that they're in. I think it is possible to do rock climbing in a more sustainable way. Um, you know, having, just being mindful, like Biju was talking about with leaving around, you know, trash in the environment, um, not cleaning up after yourself, 
Uh, I think rock climbing is can be low impact if you're keeping in mind those things. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about just in general for any of these things, you know, any of this outdoor recreation is, is travel to get there. I think that's such a big concept. Um, uh, you know, we're lucky to live in a place where we're pretty close to be able to go hike and camp and do whatever, you know, go skiing. Um, you know, Forest Park, I think is, is, I think it's the biggest urban park, um, like forest in the country. So we, you know, that's like 20 minutes from our houses. We could go on a hike anytime. Um, not as much now with social distancing, but, um, you know, I, I like that even, you know, that drive to get there though, you know, has an impact or, you know, if you're driving up to the mountain or, you know, if you were to go on something more adventurous and fly on a plane to go somewhere to go hiking and camping or something like that, I think that's something that, you know, it's made the world so much more accessible and been able to give folks who have that sense of adventure, you know, access to go enjoy the world, but it definitely has a negative impact, you know, air travel in general, we could do a whole episode on that. One thing I wanted to talk about is, and just a kind of a question for us, concept for us to consider, um, like I've said before in this podcast episode, enjoying the natural world can be one of the things that makes life worth living. Um, but in many cases, us, you know, people that are able to enjoy the natural wonders of of the environment are those who are oftentimes more able to afford or access them. But then on top of that, those who have less access to the environment will also be the first and probably worst impacted by the climate crisis. So how do we responsibly enjoy nature while also making it accessible? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think there's so, you know, there's so much research. Okay. <laughs> there's so much research done on the fact that being able to get outside and enjoy the natural world is good for your mental health. It can help in so many ways of just, you know, you can be a better, healthier, happier person if you have access to the outdoors, but that's not, it's not always accessible to do that, especially live in a city where, and you can't get out of it because you don't have a car or, you know, money to get out of town. Yeah, no, making it equitable, making nature equitable. And I think that goes back to the question that you're talking about before is do humans have a right to recreate or a right to play? And in that sense, I, I mean, Overall, I think yes, but I think once we talk about it in that lens, it makes it easier to kind of come up with solutions of what that would look like. For sure. Um, circling back to kind of COVID-19 stuff, I did want to ask you, has there been any changes in EPA policy or regulation since coronavirus came to light? Yes, the answer is yes. Um, there's a couple of, of ways that coronavirus has impacted the EPA. And I'll start with the happier one because the EPA is actually, because of COVID-19, has started a a program of environmental justice grants, is what they're calling it, to support public education training and emergency planning for communities that are being most impacted by COVID-19, despite their zip code. So, you know, I, I think that we should definitely take this with a grain of salt. We know the EPA is not great right now. We don't know necessarily if their intentions behind this are good. Digging a little deeper, I found um, that the agency, the kind of the stipulations on it, the agency is providing five $200,000 grants towards projects that could go to, like I said, uh, education and emergency planning for communities that are being most impacted. It's not a lot of money. It's a good amount of money. It's like a million dollars, but I don't know. Just It's just interesting. So so that's one thing. That's the happy news. The bad news is that the EPA right now is getting majorly called out on the environmental front because they are, you know, 
deregulating due to coronavirus. And this is, gets into this whole concept of disaster capitalism that I think is fascinating. You and me, Bijou, we have experienced plenty of disasters throughout our lifetimes. Um, obviously, 9-11 comes to mind. For me, I remember Hurricane Katrina. I was pretty young to understand it, but I remember that being a really big deal, watching that on the news. And during, you know, and coronavirus right now is a is a big disaster that's happening in our lifetime. Um, and oftentimes during the midst of crisis because of capitalism, we see impacts of disaster capitalism because have you heard about the term disaster capitalism? We talked about that. No. So disaster capitalism kind of as a definition is when big special interests take advantage of a situation and they use it to capitalize, you know, they capitalize on it, you know, and it could be just big companies taking advantage uh, and selling, you know, products to a very scared population who are, who are worried about, you know, about the specific disaster and what's actually happening right now because of COVID-19 and the EPA, the EPA is taking, you know, is deregulating a lot of environmental protections across the country under the guise that they're uh, essential services. And so right now, um, three states, Kentucky, South Dakota and West Virginia have all signed laws designating oil and gas pipelines and facilities as critical infrastructure, which means that new harsher penalties will happen to anyone who is caught tampering with them and basically makes protesting infrastructure even more dangerous. And on top of that, they create liability around organizations that protest fossil fuel infrastructure and they they basically penalize it as criminal conspiracy so that's any nonprofits Whoa. that work in those states that kind of call out the the work that's happening this might not seem like that big of a deal but this just gives more ammunition to penalizing groups um like we all know about the dakota access pipeline protests um this just gives more ammunition to groups like the epa to, to penalize anyone protesting and you know can lead to a lot of environmental racism yeah, definitely. And also just it makes it harder for Native Americans to fight for their land, which is ridiculous that they even have to. But it's really that's really sad. That makes me very, very sad, actually. Yeah. On top of that, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, has drastically relaxed its regulations around pollution. So across the that country. doesn't even <laughs> doesn't even make sense. Yeah. And it's the truth is what's happening right now. It's a bailout. I mean, we're bailing out not just in this way, but in real cash, we're bailing out the fossil fuel industry because less people are driving, which is meaning that the cost of gas is going down and fossil fuel companies are feeling that impact and the federal government is bailing out those industries. So we're bailing out industries that are causing the climate crisis. And it's just literally, you know, it's a, it's the, a great definition. It's a great example of disaster capitalism happening right in front of us. Um, and there's so much going on. I think the biggest thing for me with disaster capitalism is it's special interests taking advantage of the fact that there's so much going on that we're so overwhelmed by. I mean, I think the last number I saw was that 13% of people are unemployed. If you're unemployed, you have bigger things to worry about right now that are more you know impacting you than right. environmental deregulation. So, Right. And that kind of takes us to the concept of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which if you're unaware of the concept, definitely take a second, look it up, look at the pyramid. But it, ultimately, it's a pyramid where it's broken into several layers. Um, the bottom two layers are considered basic needs, and that's physiological needs, so food, water, warmth, and rest. And then the second one is safety needs, security, and safety. And it goes up from there to belongingness, esteem, and self-actualization. Um, but ultimately, the idea is if you don't have the base 
uh, needs met, you cannot move forward. So, Anna, what you're talking about is people currently are worried that they're not going to have money for food because they're not getting paid or they don't have they're not gonna be able to pay the rent and so there's no reason for them to worry about the bigger picture right yes definitely um and this really we wanted to talk about maslow's hierarchy because we were trying to figure out where play fit into that i mean we know from these studies that play is something that humans need to do it's how you know we stay mentally healthy um so kind of where does it fit into this hierarchy and then I mean, I think COVID is kind of an interesting concept to look at through Maslow's hierarchy because humans are social creatures. We we need that that third level is belongingness and love. Um, that includes intimate relationships, friends. Um, and right now, it's really hard to you know, especially if you live alone or just with a few people, to get those needs filled because you're not able to be close to people physically. Right. It's so sad. It's really hard. It's been, yeah. It's really hard. It's really hard. And I don't think that can be understated. Or, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that can be overstated. Uh, just how hard this whole process is for a lot of people. But if, yeah, people aren't able to have these relationships or even feel like they have safe water or access to food, they're not going to feel like they can play. And that can be extremely detrimental and cause stress which let's talk about stress real fast just a couple of interesting tidbits on stress so there's two different types of stress one is called eu stress eu stress and it's considered good stress and it's the stress that you go through when like learning a new topic or you know stressed about if you're going to do well in the marathon or whatever, the bad stress is usually long-term and detrimental generally. So chronic stress results in disruption in synapse regulation. So that can affect sociability and memory, and it can also lead to avoidance of interactions with others. Stress can literally just kill brain cells and reduce the size of the brain, and it has a shrinking effect on the prefrontal cortex, um, the area of the brain responsible for memory and learning. It can also increase the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that responds to stress. So it's a feedback loop where when you stress, it causes your amygdala to increase, which causes you to get stressed out more easily. And then it's that evil cycle. This was published in Health and Human Services by Rebecca Bernstein, and is just a few ways of how stress can affect your brain. So it's really important to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and making sure that we are self-caring appropriately during all of this so that we can uh, be happy, healthy humans. I so agree. That was really interesting, and it also stressed me out. (laughs) Right, and that's kind of, you know, it's very important to also not get stressed out about not getting stressed (laughs) out. Me too. (laughs) It's really easy to kind of feed that beast, but just live your life, have fun when you can. Understand that some stress is fine, it's just when it's chronic and um, not ending is when it becomes bad. So... We always try and highlight an organization at the end of the pod to kind of give people hope. 
So we wanted to look at the organization Leave No Trace. It's a wonderful organization. They've been around for 25 years and they have their organization set up on seven main principles. Plan ahead and prepare, travel and camp on durable surfaces, leave what you find, dispose of waste properly, minimize campfire impacts, respect wildlife, and being considerate of other visitors. So all of these things are just very baseline things that they cover and built their organization off of. You can also donate to them. You can become a volunteer. They'll train you in how to be a good outdoors person and generally a really cool ethical outdoor... They're not a company, but an organization. I In college, I did... Um... I worked as a outdoor recreation leader for like our outdoor center or whatever. And we learned, like we really dove into them. And one thing I learned when I was backpacking with this group is like every, you can do so many like little things that you wouldn't even think about. Like when you're camping and you're brushing your teeth or backpacking, brushing your teeth and you don't have like a, a good way to dispose of it, like to practice fire breathing, like when you blow out your, like the excess of when you're, you know, brushing your teeth, try and like disperse it. So that it has this, like less of an impact, I guess, on the the ground is like spray it out really far. <laughs> so I thought, That's yeah. so interesting. So I always think about that. I'm really bad at it, but you can practice it and get better at it and stuff. So yeah, it also sounds I don't know. It sounds like it would be messy for me, yes. but I'm also not trained in that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's I mean that plan ahead and prepare or that yeah just kind of like the dispose of waste properly. I think it's a big one that there's lots of little little things we don't think about. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Bijou. Uh, yeah, Leave No Trace is awesome. So we also wanted to, to kind of leave you, the audience, with some questions. And usually we only do one or two questions, but we have a few this time because this episode brought up a lot for us. So some of these questions we already talked about, uh, and then we wanted to leave you with a few new ones. So the big overarching one is how can we enjoy recreation as a society while making the strongest possible impact on the climate crisis? On top of that, we want to discuss the fact, you know, that we weren't able to answer today is, do humans have a right to play? Like I said, like a right to clean air, clean water. Do we have a right to play? Do we have a right to access nature and an outdoor rec- recreation and the environment? Yeah. How do you normally enjoy the outdoors? And how I'd be curious to see how you're supplementing that time. And then if we treated the climate crisis as seriously as we were taking COVID-19, how would you be changing your recreational activities? If you want to send us your answers or any other questions we didn't cover, feel free to email us at fireduppodcast.outlook.com. Also, if you want to reach us at our social media, the links will be in the description of this episode. Well, thank you, Bijou. It was great chatting with you. Definitely brought up a lot of feelings for me. But um, as, as usual, as always, I am so glad to discuss with you. Yeah, thanks for chatting with me. I mean, this was definitely, yeah, a more difficult episode just because play... Uh, hit so close to home but i'm very excited that we got to do this me too thank you sergio our producer as well we appreciate you (laughs) thanks sergio thanks beach (laughs) okay see you next time well thanks for listening guys (laughs) bye bye hey fired up friends thanks so much for listening this week sorry for our inconsistent release schedule COVID obviously changed our recording strategy, so, you know, we improvised a bit. It did turn out better than I thought, though, but sorry for any unusual crinkles, clicks, just sitting in unexpected background noise. We know we're not an ASMR podcast, but 
you got some unintentional ASMR, I'm, you know, not good for you. Anyways, hope viruses not affecting you as much as, which is possible. Um, stay healthy.